0: Good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you are. Welcome to Shemitah, Radical Perspectives on Society, Land, and the Individual. Um, we will be learning, learning today and for the next, about three weeks with Rabbanit Gila Rosen. For those, for, those, for anyone who is not familiar with, with her, Rabbanit Gila is a, she teaches Talmud and Mishnah, and she works at a at Halakha for Nishma. Uh, Rabbanit Rosen is the Dean of the, is a Dean of the Yakov Center for Tradition and Creativity. She studied at the Mechada College for Women, Barnard, the University of Manchester, Matan, and Mishma. She received her MA in comparative literature. She has previously lectured at Pardes, Matan, Midrash Lindenbaum, and the the Melton program at Hebrew University. She lives in Jerusalem with her children and grandchildren. Rabbanit Rosen. The floor is
1: yours. Okay, so first of all, good good afternoon or good evening, but for most of you, I think it's good afternoon. Uh, I see a few of you who've uh, um, uh, actually put on your videos. I know people don't feel like it, but if you at all feel, uh, want, feel ready to do so, put on your video, even if you're having lunch, which you, many of you may be doing, uh, put it on anyway if you can, because it's just a lot more fun for me um, to actually feel that I'm interacting and actually see who I'm interacting with. So if you can uh, put it on, uh, but if not, feel free to uh, barge in anyway and ask a question or make a comment, even if you haven't put your video on. Now, uh, I got interested in, uh, uh, Kayla, with regard to chat, um, will you uh, remind me if you notice there's things in chat that I should be relating to, questions, okay? Yes,
0: Um, chat both on Facebook and in Zoom. Our, both chat boxes are
1: open. Right. OK, great. Um, so so uh, I would like to suggest that uh, the Torah in the laws about Shemitah comes up with some pretty radical ideas. And they don't really square with the way we often look at human beings and at society and at land. And they don't even square necessarily with other things in the Torah itself. And so they uh, they're pretty uh, I don't know, they're they're pretty much of a of a a chance to say, whoa, this is a challenge. And uh, what I wanna look at is the way I think that Chazal, the rabbis of the Mishnah and the Talmud, actually e- even even exaggerated these, these d- different differences, these different ways of looking at society and at people. And they actually pushed the, the, the problem further and created even more dissonance and to see what they did with it. so. Uh, I've, I've got two sets of sources here. Uh, one is a page with masses of verses, far too many psukim. Now, uh, just a word, I, I'm used to teaching most of the time in Israel, sometimes in Hebrew and sometimes in English, but as a result, I may not know which terms you're happy and comfortable with and which ones you aren't. If, you, if I use a term and you're not comfortable with it, do your friend or another student a favor and ask, either raise a hand, interrupt, Uh, go into the chat as far as I'm concerned you can just press the space bar which will temporarily unmute you in most if you're on a a laptop let's say and and just butt in as far as I'm concerned that's absolutely fine because it's hard to get the attention in in a session like this you can also press unmute and unmute yourself and then mute yourself again it's actually faster to just press the space bar please feel comfortable to interrupt Now, I've got three pages here. One is all Hebrew, and that's the one I want to refer to now. I asked if people would bring Chumashim or Tanachs or something, because these are all in Hebrew, and it's masses of verses on one page. You've got no context. But I put it all on one page so that we could compare the different chunks in the Chumash which talk about Shemitah. Now, the first one, um, I think that I could say that there are three main sets of laws that talk about that relate to Shemitah, and they intersect. Uh, what does the word Shemitah mean? It doesn't always apply, uh, appear in the Chumash. It seems to come from the word Shamot, Shin mem tet, which seems to mean to let go of something, for something to fall, to lose control. If we look at that word, through it, Tanakh, it comes up when 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 something falls out of place, when it gets, control is lost. So Shemitah seems to be about some kind of, purposeful loss of control uh, which is for the 21st century human being a very big issue that's the first thing the second thing I would say is that the laws of Shemitah defy what we usually are categories that we like we like these categories the bein adam l- makom versus bein adam l'chavei interpersonal mitzvot bein adam la versus rituals Yes, some people say, I'm, I'm into the rituals. I, I, I'm like that, not so much into the interpersonal. Other people say, I'm into the interpersonal. The, the, the shmita kind of uh, bridges between those two worlds. And you can't use those nice little clean categories. This is a Ben Adam Lechavero, an interpersonal mitzvah, or this is a ritual mitzvah. It sort of runs through the two and doesn't let you off it makes you hold on to both together. Now, uh, I would like to suggest though you could argue it's, it's four sets of laws, five sets of... I'm going to go for three sets of laws and make as few categories as I can. So if you take the page, which has got uh, all the psukim on it and feel comfortable to use whatever chumash you like uh, with whatever translation you like as well, the first set of verses I chose was from Shmot. Perakov Gimel, the end of chapter 23, the end of Pashat Mishpatim, or near the end of Pashat Mishpatim. Now, in Pashat Mishpatim, what kind of world were we in? Is there private property? There sure is. We're talking about my ox gored your ox, my dog bit your dog, right? I, I made a hole in the ground and somebody fell in. We're talking a lot about private property. Somebody, uh, it was arson, somebody stole. We're talking about a lot, we're assuming private property as that's the way society is running. Near the end of Mishpatim, we get some laws that, like, that are softer than the first part, like uh, um, returning lost objects, for instance. Um, so near the end, we have, if you look at the page here, or if you just open your own chumash to Exodus chapter 23, verse 10, you'll see the first mention in the Chumash, I think, about Shemitah. V'shei shanim for six years, plant your, your land. Thank you very much, everybody who's getting on. Plant your land and gather your produce, your tfu'a. and the seventh, tishmetena, let go of it what the land, probably, or the the prajins, and really let go of it, leave it. And what, what will be the result? And the poor, the very poor of your nation will eat. And what's left over will be eaten by the wild animals. Reminds me a little bit of during Corona, how the animals started to come into the towns. And then it goes on, do that with your vineyards, with your olive trees, right? Let go. Now, this is totally radical. Um, I just want to point out, it's it's bridging. Because the verse before it, verse 9, was about treating the stranger properly. And verse 11 is... Six days, do your work, and on the seventh day, rest, and then, so that your ox and your ass uh, will rest, and the stranger and the servant girl, or the servant here, the son of the, the, the servant, will get refreshed, right? So there's that aspect of Shabbat as well, that you're not the only one resting but it's not as central as in Shemitah. So Shemitah is a place between treating the poor and the stranger well and Shabbat, and it's radical. The truth is that Shabbat is radical, just that we're used to it because the Western world and with it now almost all of humanity, um, they liked Shabbat and they accepted it. But actually Shabbat is way, way out. Even in the Roman period, we have Roman authors Writing about the crazy Jewish Shabbat, the idea that people would waste a day, not thinking, oh, people produce better, never mind leisure time, even the idea that people produce better if they rest. Um, it's not an assumption. It wasn't an assumption, and it didn't exist in this part of the world. There was kind of a week with market days, but a day of rest was crazy. And uh, you really see it from Roman authors, the ones who like the Jews being complimentary, the other ones making satires about it. We don't think Shabbat is radical because it was radical, but it got accepted. Shemitah is left being radical. And it's radical here from a number of points of view. Well, if anybody wants to buy it, by all means, what makes it radical? First of all, a whole year that you don't work the field, right? secondly what does it say who's going to eat whatever grows on its own who's coming and eating the poor people and even the animals well you've got a field you've got a garden do you want them in your field do you want them in your garden is there no private property is there no privacy what happens if they're destructive you know this is in jerusalem here we have people who have gardens but they've got they're fenced in or walled in and they put signs outside during Shemitah. I do have a tree like this, phone me and I'll open the gates because they can't, they're afraid to let gates open, right? So uh, people have a whole question, what to do, how to keep this because their private property is so walled off. But what it's saying, what we're going to have to have some rules. How are we going to have people just walking all over the place? You know, in other words, it's radical because we had the whole Parsha mishpat of people going on and on about private property, and it's all very clear, and there's something called s- stealing. And suddenly it's not stealing because it's not yours. You let go. Two words of total letting go here, and they're coming in. The, the stuff's growing, the, the the people are coming in, wild animals are coming in. We're, what exactly should be the lines? It's radical. It's radical in terms of time. It's radical in terms of the ground. It's radical in terms of possession, especially, I think, for us in capitalist societies, um, in terms of possession, it's very radical. And in terms of control, right? So this is the first set of laws. Not working the fields, and whatever does grow not being yours, even though you thought that piece of chunk of land was yours okay now if we jump the 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 second verse i brought we will come to it probably at another time but if we jump to vayikra we have a in vayikra and we'll look at this more next week we have a pasha that starts off god spoke to moses on mount sinai we don't know why we're suddenly talking about mount sinai and the in the pro the sort of proverb in english that we say what's the what's the What's, what's that got to do to, to do with the price of tea in China? The Hebrew equivalent is Why don't we start talking about Mount Sinai in the middle of the book of Leviticus when we're talking about Shemitah, which won't happen until you get to Eretz Yisrael. Okay? And we will think about that next week. But if you look at the piece there, that's the piece here that says Leviticus chapter 25. The first part is a repeat. What we already saw, but what we saw was very much abridged, and it talks about keeping Shemitah. And if you read it, you'll feel the cadence of the piece about Shabbat and the Ten Commandments. Very, very similar. In Vayikra, the word Shemitah is not mentioned. It disappears. It's never in that whole big chunk I brought you, which is not even all there is. There's no use of the word shmita. Okay? We're in a different language. We're in the book of Vayikra. We're in a language about Shabbat and about Kedushah, holiness. We're not. There's no. There's no use of the word Shemitah. It's very interesting. And uh, look at the second to last verse, Kaf Gimel. Oh no, we'll get to that in a moment. Okay, that's the first set of laws, letting go in the seventh year, letting go in terms of time, in terms of your field, in terms of private property. A lot of letting go. Uh, and the poor benefiting from that letting go, right? And the wild animals. The second, com- the second set of laws is, starts in uh, Vayikra 25, chapter 25. And it starts with um, the phrase, with verse 8. And you should count cycles of Shemitah, Seven times seven, right? From verse eight onward. And now it's talking about what we call the jubilee year, or yovel, when you blow the shofar. And what happens in that jubilee year? Verse 10, you're going to sanctify that year. It's like Shabbat. And you will call out freedom to everybody who lives there. Look at this connection between sanctity, holiness, and freedom for everyone. That's yes, not what we usually think about. How, what does holiness mean? Yes. Look at it here. And you return. But note that the word lashuv and lashevet and shabbat are all linked words in the Hebrew, which gets lost when you get into translation. You return each to his own inheritance and each to his family. Right, because somebody had been a slave, even if he decides to stay longer than the seven years, he goes back in the June year. And then, verse 23, second to last verse on the page here, and the land shall not be sold forever, because the land is mine. And I think this is. Uh, Pulling together for both pieces, both the, the first one about not working the land and the second one about allowing people return. "Ki you are strangers as sojourners with me," says God. Um, I, I used to feel very, very much that it reminded me of the Native American sense of land versus the white man coming in, uh, uh, buying Manhattan Island, but they didn't know what they what that meant. The, It's absurd to sell the ground. And it is quite absurd in in America that uh, a person can own a lake and and, and a forest. It's it's like, there's an absurdity in a sense to it. Um, So here we have the idea that everybody is is a sojourner, you know, and we're beginning to feel this idea that there ain't such a big difference between the man who's very rich and the man who's very poor, because they're all, strangers and sojourners on this land, which is God's, right? So that's the second set of laws. The second set of laws is about the jubilee year and the return in the jubilee year. Uh, and the jubilee year also is a second year of Shemitah. That is, you have a double year that you don't work the land, right? Two years that you don't work the land. Shelley, did you want to say something? But you have to unmute.
2: Yeah, I I wanted to say, first of all, I I never knew that it was the second year. Um, I may be anticipating, but I took a class a couple of years ago with a bunch of men. And um, they kind of emphasized the fact that Yovel really wasn't um, celebrated, wasn't really enforced um, more than maybe once. That's how they kind of interpreted it, because it was unrealistic not owning property Um, I think maybe women are a little more socialist, whatever had the concept of sharing the land and, and, you know, it's all ours and we all know it's God's and he wants, you know, but there was like a very strong push. By several of the men to say Yovel was never really enforced. I don't know if I'm in, you know, kind of. Yes, I
1: think we will want to talk about that next week. But I, I, if you already mentioned it, I'll I'll bring you the the, the third piece, the, the next piece, which I was going to wait for. But why not bring it now if you're coming in? Mm-hmm. Which is, never mind, Jubilee, the Yovel, even Shemitah was not very well enforced. And not look not. at what it says in the Tochacha, in the uh, next parsha. Chapter 26, it says, what will happen if you don't keep? And look what it says. Um, Basically, God says, I'll empty the land of you. And verse 34, Mm -hmm. then the land will literally have, won't, but have its Shabbatot. All the time that the land is deserted, it will have the Shabbatot that it didn't have. And if the First temple was almost 500 years, yes? And they were, we were in, in exile 70 years, seven times seven, okay? You can see that it actually uh, was an exile as long as the number of shmitot during Vayetvishon, yeah. right? Okay, so there's a suggestion in the text that if you won't, it, it, you will, the land will I'll take it back from you. Um, now, as for your veil, We don't know how often it was, but we do know that the rabbis of the Mishnah said that it it wasn't happening, certainly in the Second Temple period, and that from a biblical point of view, they didn't have to keep it in the Second Temple period, because people, when they came back, didn't go back to their inheritances. Everybody just bought whatever they bought, right? Or just... Settled whatever they settled, so you can't say to somebody who just happened to buy it, well, and then you buy it for them. He because can't come at the end of the fifty years and say give it back to me, me because it wasn't his in that sense. So jubilee really only applies as far as the mission understood it. Only ever applied so far in history in um, in the first temple period, and the slaves who went free, Jews stopped having. Uh, slaves for long periods, much earlier than the rest of the Roman Greco-Roman world. They actually were. Well, I guess some of the things going on in the Homs pushed them towards away from slavery. Some of the, you know, if you have a slave but you're not allowed to knock out his tooth, and if you do, he goes free. You know, it changes the meaning of the word slavery from what we're used to in it. You know, as Americans, uh, it's such a. It has other connotations, and I'm not saying it was perfect back then, but it was a different system from what we when we talk about it here. So. Um, So yes, you're right. And that's part of the discussion. If we didn't actually keep Shemitah so well and certainly not Yovel, what happened to those laws? Did they affect Judaism at all? And that's what I wanna say, wanna talk talk about. That is, I think there are radical perspectives here which did affect Judaism, not necessarily particularly in terms of so much in terms of Shemitah and Yovel. And that's what I wanna look at over these few weeks. Now the last set of laws, so that was two sets of laws, the last set of laws is in the book in Devarim. And there you can see that God is really trying to appeal to people's less good natures and say, look, it'll be okay. And you won't have poor people and you'll rule over other people. Just keep these laws for heaven's sake, or for your sake. And here it does use again the word Shemitah. And what is it? Shamot kobama let go with your hand of the loan. Now, in those times, there were two forms of staka that you see a lot. One was leaving a corner of your field and things like that, agricultural, and the other was loans. You see loans more than you see outright gifts to beggars, right? You see loans a lot. In other words, people also want to try to manage with loans. Now, there are two kinds of loans and a lot in between, but all the way on one end is the loan you you take because you want to actually open a new company. You're not poor, but you need to add more money for this. And you don't want, you want somebody, and we, what we do to handle the problem of interest and all that and Shemitah is we do what's called a Heta isco. We say, this isn't really a loan in the old sense of a poor person who doesn't have enough in the winter and needs to make it till the summer. This is a, a partnership. The other person is giving you some money because they're kind of a partner in your endeavor. And then very often they can take what would be called in another way, uh, rebate, um, taking, what's rebate in English? Interest. interest. Interest, because the interest is really for their part of the partnership. They're, they're, part, they're partnering with money. Okay, so I'm not talking about that kind of loan. All the way at the other end, we have the loan for, to somebody who doesn't have enough to eat today. In actual fact, there is often much greater lap overlap than we realize. And that's what we saw with all the mortgages on houses. When people who are middle class or working class, but holding it and handling things well suddenly lost their houses because they'd taken mortgages that were bigger than they could handle and all that. So actually it's not necessarily, we don't always know where we are. We might think we're in an area that this isn't really like the, those kind, these kind of laws we have to be careful about. Somebody might really get hurt. We could sometimes with loans be there when we don't realize it. And I think that's something very important uh, in modern society. So the third set of loans is not about land, doesn't apply only in Israel. And it is the question of the, the third set of Shemitah laws is about loans, which is that at the end, actually, of the Shemitah year, you have to let go of your loans in the sense that you can't go and ask for them. If somebody wishes to give you your loan money back, you may take it. You have to remind them that they don't have to pay you, but you can take it. But you may not go and insist to somebody that they give you back the money. You know, it becomes a gift, basically. Um, It's, again, letting go of control. It's, again, creating a certain equality. But it's very hard to live up to as well. And unlike all the rest, it applies outside of Israel as well. makes no difference where you are. And I'm going to start, so those are the three intersecting sets of laws. And I want to talk tonight a little bit about how these laws affect the individual. And next week, more about land and world and, and the last week about society, how, how structures of society can get completely, you know, what happens to the structure of society if you did keep it, yes, how would it work? And what can we do with the ideas? now? Um, because of that, I want to start with the last piece in Devar, the one that's actually most relevant for everybody, almost everybody here. The The first piece was very relevant for me because I, was, I have a little garden behind my house and I had terrible trouble, all sorts of plants. I had grown into it and I had this time before Shemitah to try to get the, the grass growing properly and the flowers. And, and I had tremendous pleasure in that uh, adrenaline hit to try and get this to be such that it would be lovely for the year. Um, uh, and uh, I never worked so hard in my garden before. That was you know, like, suddenly it was, oh, I want this and I don't want to do it. And, I, and shimita, I'm i not going to do it, you know? So it was actually a, a wonderful experience But For most of you, it'll be only the question of loans or less the question of where you're getting, buying food from, it'll be the question of loans. Now, in the little piece of, about loans, there's a very scary sentence. And I want to show you the two directions that Chazal, the rabbis of the Mishnah and the Gemara, took this sentence. Uh, now, so we're in the book of Devarim, Deuteronomy, chapter fifteen. If you're using the page, it's the last few uh, verses at the bottom. If not, if you're using the Chumash, which I uh, very much recommend, because. Uh, you can flip around, you can look what was before and after, you can have a commentary or a translation you like. This was just to sort of see it all on the page, but not really to use, in my personal opinion. I've got a chumash here besides the page here. Now, in uh, uh, verse 9, let's start from verse 7. So we've already said that in the seventh year, you're allowed to actually continue to take back money, loaned money to people who are not Jewish, to Gentiles. And I think that's a very understandable situation because we're not talking about theft. Theft is forbidden to anybody. It doesn't matter who it is. But if we're talking about something like, I loaned you money, but in actual fact, I can't take it back. I can't ask you for it back. Then that can be something that you do only in your family, let's say. Except here it's a very large family. But that's understandable, I think. Very understandable. But if somebody disagrees with me, please just unmute and say it. Okay, verse 7. If you have a poor person in one of your cities, uh, in your land, which God has giving you, don't harden your heart. And don't literally make a fist out of your hand. From your brother who is really poor. Open your hand to him. And lend to him. This becomes terribly important. Lend him as much as he needs. right? And later in halacha, it's not only about lending, it's for all. Uh, Ramam says if you can manage it on your own, take you take care of the person. If you can't manage it on your own, get others to help you. Now here's verse nine. watch out for yourself. im lest there be an idea, a matter in your heart that is blyah, base, evil, um, unthinkable, intolerable. We'll look at all those possibilities. Or saying, it's August. Yes? July. All right? It's July. Right? Elul is very soon. Right? I'm not going to give a loan now. I'll be out of my mind. That won't be a loan. That'll be a gift. If I want to give somebody a gift, if I can afford it, I'll give them a gift. I'm not going to loan anybody money. I know he needs it for this or that. that. His kid is sick, whatever. And he thinks he'll be able to pay it back. But it's a crazy time to give a loan. And your, your eye, it's like not evil eye, but your eye will be Negative. You'll have a negativity in your way you look at the person. Your perception will be negative. and you won't give it to him. and he'll call to God about you. Not only lo, you should certainly give to him. V'lo Don't have a bad feeling in your heart. and God will bless you. In the v'arm, he has to keep telling them he's going to bless him. Not to worry. Okay. Okay. What's this b'liya? What's this idea? First of all, what do you think about this idea? If the Torah didn't call it Bliya? I think it's pretty fair. Yeah? It's not a terrible, it's not evil. Is there anything evil about saying, I I don't think I want to lend money now because I don't think I can get it back and I don't think I can afford it? I don't know. Ruth, yes, you've got to unmute. No, no, it's okay. No, but the if I can afford it, that's the catch. Yes, agreed. It may be that this person certainly can afford it. If the person can't afford it, they really can't. Now, what's this Just, word mean? It seems mean to that? me yes,
3: that um, that little proviso and he will go to God and complain about you sort of throws a little different angle. I mean, it sort of throws the the bad reflection on the person who is borrowing also.
1: Hmm. It's very interesting because it appears in, in Schmoltz about. You know, if you're if you're horrible to a, an almana and she cries, and 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 it seems to be a fair thing to do. You're allowed to cry to God, and 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 if you, I I know it has that feeling here. I'll look around a little and see. But I, my impression was, and also in Mishpatim, um, that it was Wait, not What if he doesn't do
3: complain to God? Now, that's what, what, what I don't understand about God?
1: these verses. And if he doesn't, you'll have less of a sin. You'll still have a yeah. sin. That's right. So, uh, but but maybe if. You might not give it and the person can adjust. But if the person didn't adjust, maybe it's not so much about the complaining as about the suffering. You might do something that's not too nice and there isn't so much suffering as a result. Or you might do something that isn't good and there is a lot of suffering about that. So if we don't see it so much in terms of whether the person's a, a complaining type, but more as to whether the person's suffering, desperate. if you cause right. suffering, there'll be sin against you. Right. Whereas you might, you can... I think it's like that in life. Sometimes we make some mistakes and they don't matter too much. And we make another mistake and the person's feelings are so hurt and it's not the same. We have more work to do. Shelly, did you want to say something?
2: Yeah, I wanted to say the, when you related it to the amanat, we always have enormous sympathy for the widow and orphan because we know they suffer. We know that disproportionately they suffer. So I also, I agree with you that it was, um, the person who's complaining, not because he's complaining, but because he's in a more desperate state.
1: Yes. Yes. I mean,
2: we can see in the past year and a half what's happened with people who suddenly are in very desperate straits, who never, maybe never were before.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. In other words, if you decide not to loan to somebody who doesn't really need it, who just wanted to build himself an extension to his house, then it could be okay.
2: It's not the end of the world you didn't mm-hmm. feel you could
1: afford right but if you don't loan to somebody whose kid needs a doctor then you know that's a different ball game or food right, yeah, or food. Or, but, food or food and certainly you
2: food you need to feed your children
1: absolutely absolutely I and think, like you said we steered. can
2: also ask for of uh, this poor
3: person even if he needs it for his own sustenance you know you don't always get what you want from the first time you ask you can go to somebody else and ask them and then god can can then look at the whole situation and say okay you didn't want to give so i won't look favorably on you and the second person did give and i will look favorably on him which in the end is the same thing but here it seems so almost like you know more dependent on the person
1: yes a particular voicing
3: person his objection to to god
1: yeah, yeah. If it's something that appears a few times in the Khumish and I don't understand it in any of its appearances, you know, like is there is there a difference?
2: Yes, Ruth. Yeah, so I don't know that it's if he calls out, but and he will call out. It's, it's so it's not, yeah.
1: it's not ah, a, very nice, uh, very nice. The Koral, that was what will happen if he's hungry, that is what will happen. Um, yes, somebody mentioned I saw in the chat the issue that it's. It's about how you're handling it, what your reaction is, and I agree. Look at the metaphors here about the closed hand, or the metonym, actually, of a closed hand, uh, an open hand. There's really very strong uh, uh, sense here. Now, this word Belial is an interesting word. It might be really composed of two words. Belial, somebody who is without a sense of um, yoke, of heaven. Yes, no sense of responsibility. It's a blial, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an irresponsible act. That's, that's just without a sense of, of any sense of responsibility to, to the community, to people, or before God. Yes? Blial, Another explanation is blial, it should never have thought of it. It shouldn't have come upon you. Beli yeah, ya'al. Yeah, yeah. not beli all, but beli yaal. Yeah. It should never have come up. It's an unthinkable thought. We thought it was a pretty thinkable thought, but the Chumash according to that, is calling it an unthinkable thought. It should not be thought. Right? If somebody needs, you can't play games with it. it will be able to give it back to me. He won't be able to give it to you. It's, it's hungry. Give them the give them the food or give them the money. And another explanation, I think this is the Ibn Ezra, is that it comes from Bet Lamid Ayan. Bala, devour, to swallow or devour. Bilea is to destroy in the PL. Um, you have it, the valea is to destroy. It appears in echa, right? Now, uh, clothes that are torn up are im. In other words, there's this, there's this sense of devouring. It's aggressive kind of thought. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Okay, so is it an unthinkable thought, an irresponsible thought, an aggressive thought, all these p- a devouring thought because you destroy people by taking that approach. Uh, very interesting on that. Now, we have two responses in Chazal to this phrase, davar im levavcha bliya." okay? I'm gonna go first with the one that people think of as t- typically Jewish, but is no more Jewish than the second one. And that's the first source on the page, that says Shemitah's radical perspectives, the part one, the individual. And I took this from Masachet Gittin, but it's not really correct. It's really a Mishnah from Masachet Shvi'it, which is the Mishnah about Shemitah, because the Masachet Gittin just quotes that Mishnah. In Masachet Gitten, however, there is a long discussion about Pusbol, so it's the place you need to look if you want to see anything more. So this is taken from Gitten because that's where I'm studying it, because I'm looking at the whole picture, and you do actually have a course at Risha right now on that page, uh, a course about Pusbol, but um, it's also a very interesting chapter, and I see that at least some of us are women here, and I want to mention that this chapter is a whole chapter and a half about tikkun olam, about places where the formalistic halacha would not have done the right thing, would not have accomplished what it wanted to accomplish, and Chazal went and found a non-formalistic technique. And this page in Gitten is about the question well, how far can they go? And what makes them feel they have the authority to do anything about this kind of thing? And when can they, and when they can So it's a great page. Uh, it is a great page to study. But here it is. Olam. That's the Mishnah in Gittin. Okay, a few pages before. And then the Gemara says, Tinan haten tam. there, there's, in shvi'it, there's a Mishnah. And then he quotes the Mishnah. And it tells us the story that Hillel saw that people couldn't keep this pasuk. Hillel uh Prusbal and no Mishamit. if you have a Pruzbel, then you don't have to let go. Okay? not your, your debts are not abrogated. This is one of the things that Hillel Hazakim, Hillel the Elder. Um, instituted close to the end of the second temple period, around zero, uh, about 2000 years ago. He saw the people, that they weren't lending to each other in July, just before Shemitah. And they transgressed against what was said in the Torah, Watch out lest you have a terrible thought not to lend. So on the one hand, there was a positive mitzvah, yes, that you must let go of your loans. But there was also a a loan, prohibition, to give in to your sense that you're not going to lend. There was a prohibition to not lend. Yes. <laughs> it's like uh, there's a mitzvah on Yom Kippur to make yourself, uh, your, to not give your your body as much as it needs. Yes. I eat fast, but it's not a, a prohibition. So here, there's a prohibition on having this thought. That's an actual iser. It's an actual prohibition to start thinking I'm not giving to poor people. I'm sitting here and making my... Now, we're talking about somebody who can afford it, although what it means to afford it today and what it meant for them, is not the same thing, right? I mean, even in Eastern Europe, I think there were people, and even here in Israel, I would say, there are people whose way of looking at what it means to be able to afford is not the same as I, I have naturally, right? It's, it's in my opinion, far better than the way I, I sense the world as somebody who grew up in the States, I feel. Um, but, let us say that in order to prevent people from feeling that, and then they wouldn't lend, right? In order to make sure that they would lend, right? Um, they uh, he put he instituted the principle. okay. Now, what was the principle? So, according to that, was it so terrible to have that thought? I originally thought, no, He just thought I better it's natural. People are thinking that, but maybe not. Maybe he thought to be, to let people be in a state where they feel I'm not going to help people is a terrible state. It's a terrible state for the people who are not getting food. And it's also a terrible state for the people who have become hardened. To allow people to get to a point where they're hardened is a terrible state. Now, how could Hillel allow himself to do this? Well, there were two things. First of all, at that point, there's no jubilee anymore. There's no yovel, right? This is the end of the second temple period. Nobody knows where their inherited land is, okay? So there's no yovel. And according to that, according to most views, Shemitah is only Jirabbanan. Biblically, you only have Shemitah for money. when, you, Even though you have it in outside of Israel as well, it's only from the Torah at a time when there is yovel. There's no yovel anymore. And therefore, according to most views, Shemitah today is drabanan. It's to remember what Shemitah is. It's to have it part of our religion, but it's actually and part of our beings, but it's actually from a Torah point of view. You do not have to keep it today, according to most opinions, not all opinions. That's what makes it easier to do all these things. So point one, nowadays, Shemitah is there as a memory to to mold us as to who we are rather than a mitzvah from the Torah for now. That's number one. And number two, He actually wasn't technically doing anything very special because in ancient times, what happens if somebody owed you money? Well, you had to go running after him or not always so easy to get you. What happens if a man lent money to another man and he was going to go by ship? I don't know. In those times, it took a long time and he was going away by ship. And he was leaving his wife and kids. And he'll need that money back. People were not necessarily rich when they made the loans. But he had been able to afford to lend that money. But he's going away now to, I don't know, to go buy things from Crete. And he's he to do business in Crete. And his wife and children are going to need that money back within a certain amount of time. How, and let's say the, the loan was for one year or half a year or whatever. But he's leaving. What did he do with that loan? He took the star, the document, and he brought it to the beton, and he said to the beton, okay, I'm handing it over to you. It is your loan to take care of. And then the betten had to get it back from that person and give it to his wife and children. And it was a commonplace thing to do, right? Because you didn't want to leave your wife in a position in those times. I'm not sure about today. we be a little more assertive. But in those times for sure, you did not want to leave your wife in that weak position that somebody owed money that she will need and she can't get it. So you brought the your documents to the bentin. All Hillel did was say, before Shemitah, go bring your documents to the bentin, because the betin is not a private person, and the betin can continue to take them. That's all Principle is. From a technical point of view, this this it, it's completely watertight. It's not a big issue. Of course, from a point of view from what happens in society, it's major, right? Sometimes with a, with a little strike of a pen, you can do a lot, right? So all he did was say, okay, everybody, folks, whoever wants to, you can take your loans and give them to the bank." that's all it is, really. And people were doing that always. And it was a good thing that they had it. It was very good that uh, you could give your loan over to the bank to, to, to collect for you. But I mean, it's not some awful collection agency that'll throw the people out of the house is only when Yovel pertains. Ah, where do we see that Shemitah is only when Yovel pertains? In this Gemara, in the continuation of this Gemara, it will, it right there on the page, it will discuss how we learn it, but- um, It's
3: not in the Pesukim of the
1: Torah. Um, it's not, it's not explicit. It's not explicit in Pesukim, but in this verse that we saw, in verse one in Devarim chapter 15, and they say all these different kinds of Shemitah are all one together because of this way, the way the language of it is. But it's actually right there on that page in the Gemara. They argue that it's a very good question because it's not explicit here. Um, but it's in the continuation in the Gemara. So um, if one, uh, you could just go keep on going on that page of Gemara and you'll see it. Um, that was the advantage of bringing it from Gitzin where the whole discussion appears. Uh, now, that's one direction. That's Hillel. I don't know what he thinks about this word Beliyah. I must say the Rambam, despite that says it's a terrible thing and you should try very much to let go of your loans. But um, Hillel allowed it. He, he created a situation where people didn't have to get to that point of, I don't want a loan because they could take it back. Yes, Evelyn.
3: So if you go to the ba- to the bank and you give them the star and you say the loan is now yours, do you, how do you end up with the money?
1: Yeah, that's it. It's it's a very interesting thing. It's theirs to collect. It's they're the collection agency. You're not giving. It's not theirs. It's not that. You, you you get you said i'll give you a present this is your this is yours now it's just that you're making them the collection agency like somebody can give his okay, loan still, to a collection it, agency that's
3: just it's such a technicality because if you end up with the money then you're really the one that's collecting
1: it that's correct that's correct and yet because it existed already in judaism as a system that the, that they have complete rights or, because I suppose because they, as the collection, can make all the decisions. They can say, uh, we're going to make you give it today. We're gonna, They can also punish the person if he doesn't give it, right? So they, they have a lot of power, so they're seen as the, as the, the agents of it. But I agree with you. In, it, it, it's a bit odd because they don't really own it. It's not really their money, uh, right? It remains your money. It will go to you, not to them. So I agree with you. But nevertheless, it existed within Judaism already, that the, you could say to the court, this is yours. It's not theirs in the sense that they keep the money. I have to look, maybe I'll look it up to see whether there was a system that the money went to the person, but first to the Beton, and then the Beton gave it to the person. Maybe that, but I don't think so. I don't think so necessarily. I think you could just go and take them, take it. So I agree with you. In its first sense, it was already something a bit. Unusual, but it already existed. Before Hillel came and said, let's use it for Shemitah, what I'm saying is it existed as a methodology that a person could say to to the betin here, and he would bring the documents and give them to the betin, even though the the betin would just really only act as a collection agency. It's as if it was the betins, but it wasn't really. But i I have to look a little bit more. So thank you for the question and see if I can parse something out of it. So what we see here is a loophole. Yes, we see a loophole. For whose sake was the loophole? The Mishnah wants to argue that it wasn't only, that the Mishnah, the quote, well, well quotes, is it wasn't only it was so the poor would eat, but it was also so that people wouldn't sin. Yes, so that people wouldn't come to be hard-hearted and and fisted. Okay, and um, so I'm not sure what the vision of Leah is. Okay, but it's basically avoiding it. That's part one. Now I want to show you the opposing thing that happened to this verse. The word Belial appears only twice in the Chumash. Okay, that's only twice. The other time that it appears is in Deuteronomy 15.9. No, uh, in 13.14, this is 15. Deuteronomy in the same parsha. And Deuteronomy 13, 14. And I didn't bring that. It's not a pasuk about Shemitah. Deuteronomy 13, 14. uh No, not correct. Yes, Yes, Yudan. And it's talking about, anybody find it yet? Yeah, is that the Ir Dachat? Yes, it is talking about the Ir Hanidahat. The case where a couple of louts go out and convince everybody, to, 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 to do adultery. et Some people who were men of B'liyar. So here it's not just a bilial thought. They are people of B'liyar. Sons, literally sons of men of Bilial. Went out from within you and they got the whole ta- um Right, right. Uh, Gabrielle is, is pointing out that the Gemara goes on later to show that, the, that brings Psukkot to show that in monetary matters, the Gemara can make certain uh, decisions. Uh, that's why it's such a wonderful Gemara to learn. Uh, it really is. Um, now, now, they go, this is Blyal. Uh Maybe that's an important thing to mention once I've seen the chat. In the, 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 the Chazal understood that they had far more authority to make changes when it had to do with monetary things, with societal monetary things. So, for instance, you know, uh, is it my field or your field in the in the, in the in the in the if in the Tanakh it would be up to a certain kind of fence. If nowadays in a, wherever we live here, we have a different kind of fence or no fence, but a kind of that's fine. You, we don't say, oh, the rules have to be exactly the same. Whereas when it comes to something like Shabbat, we don't sit there and change the rules. So, and they bring some verses to show that they have those right. And I want to come back here. There are two places in the whole of Chumash that use the word b'lial. One is ours, and one is this one. Men who went out and got everybody else to do idolatry. Let's take a look at the piece in Baba Batra. We have five minutes. Source number two. Rav Papa have a salik Vidaka. Rav Papa was once climbing a ladder, and his foot slipped and he almost fell and he said who am i am i am i supposed to get skila i nearly fell yes nearly which and if he would have fallen broken his head, then it would have been like getting skila which is the punishment of being stoned except they been thrown down right uh, am i a, sh- a, sh- a shabbat des- desecrator he says the one who's, who hates me because that was they, they would say about themselves it was a bad thing not me but as if somebody else. But basically what he says is, am I somebody so problematic? So did, did, I, did, I, did I not keep Shabbos on purpose? Am I an idolater? Now this Rav Papa, a few pages earlier in Baba Batra, had been a Gabbai Fetzedakah and had told somebody they didn't think he sh- he didn't think he should get. So he actually has got a little bit of a problem there. And Chiyabah Rav, says to him, Shema ani baliatcha below pinasto. Why did your foot slip and you nearly fall off the ladder and die, right? You think you said, oh, my Shabbat desecrated. Do I do Abu Zavah? Well, maybe, maybe you didn't give money to a poor person who came to you. What's it got to do with it? And then the Gemara goes on, for it says, Rabbi Yeshua Ben Kocha said, Kol min ki ilu oveid avodazorah somebody who turns his eyes away or hides his eyes from tzedakah or from somebody asking for tzedakah, it's as if he does a bodhazara, as if he worships idols, all right? If you, if you turn your eyes away, you malim ein. Now it's a very interesting play here because if you remember what happens with a it's when you look around too much and you get drawn towards a bodhazara. And here it's saying it's the opposite. When it comes to interpersonal, open your eyes. If you don't open your eyes enough, you're like an idolater who went who opened his eyes too much in the wrong direction. You're like an adult. How do I know that? Here it says, unthinkable, irresponsible, devouring. Uktiv Atam. And over there it says, some people went out. Who are B'nai B'liyaw? Malahalana vodazah. Oh, there, the word Belial. to be without any yoke or to be a devourer or to be a, unthinkable. That was an idolater. Remember, at their time, their, percept- their perception of idolatry is that it's a mix of not worshipping God and of Doing unthinkable things in the process of idolatry, very often. Right? And in the, yeah. in the verse, it says specifically, avda so it, It's all connected. Belial and avodah is in that, like, yeah, yes. in that verse. Yeah, that verse. And yes. then yes. this verse. I okay, ma lahalana Over there, the word bnei Bliyal or something to do with avodah afkan avodah Okay? This isn't something that Chazal often do if you've been in, right? Both in Halacha and in Agada in, thought, in ideas. They say, I found a term here. This is an unusual term. I see it only in one other place in the whole Chumash. The Chumash is talking to me, right? I have to listen. Really, Chazal teach you how to read. Yes? We thought we learned in first grade, but we learn again and again, right? So, that Belial here, Belial there, ah, oh, wait a minute, no. To not give tzedakah when there's a need, to close your eyes to need, that's like worshiping idols. So, what have we set up here? We've set up based on the same verse, we've got Hillazakane, the elder, Hill of the Elder saying, you know, I don't want people to get there. And it's very inspiring. I, I, I'll get them a way out, prevent them from getting there. And on the same verse, we have the idea. Now, not only about Shemitah, we've incorporated this ethical idea that to not turn towards, to close your eyes when it comes to, to sort of ignore poverty or pain. And here we have the word tzedakah, which is a very, very broad word. Look what happened here. On the particular case of Shemitah, Hillel the Elder uh, narrated it. But what happened in the same period of history, they took the idea and they said, this applies to all charity. It applies to all looking. A person who doesn't look in the for anything of tsudaka, whether it's charity in poverty, whether it's justice, whatever, they are as if they're worshiping idols at that time. Okay? All right. That's so so you see what happened to this. On the particular, it got narrowed, but on the broader level, we're being told this has to be part. You thought idolatry was only a long time ago? No, no, no. There's idolatry today. That's idolatry. Now, next week, we'll start off, we'll continue uh, with some more sources about how on earth and maybe you want to think about how on earth we can call ma'alim ayin minat tzedakah, ignoring tzedakah, which is not even an action. It's just ignoring. How can we say that's like uh, worshipping idols? Evelyn, yes.
3: Well, I think that if you're not, if you don't have an open hand to another person. You are worshiping money, which is a form of idolatry.
1: Wonderful. So that's one one starter is you're worshiping money, right? Um, and we're going to get some other suggestions, and I'll be open to other suggestions uh, for next week. Now uh, we we've got just a few minutes left, and I understood from Kayla that we should try to stop a little before the end. Um, I want to ask if anybody has a uh, a particular question. I, I also want to um, invite, Kayla, maybe you can give them my my email. I wanna invite people, if they have questions they wanna follow, follow up like this question of when they feel they can have authority to make changes, any questions that have come up that aren't part of the direct thing we wanna work on, which is the radical things of what happened to these radical ideas over history. But if you have other questions and you wanna follow up with them, I'm I'm really happy to do so with you so you can use my email to do that, okay? And I look forward to seeing you again next week to continue with um, what happened to some of the, the, a little more what happened to these ideas and some more. Um, okay, Evelyn says, where she, can you she find the source? Uh, All right, um,
0: you can find the source sheets at our to download on our website, right here.
1: Gosh, Kayla, you are good.
0: And if anyone on Facebook Live has any,
2: questions. can you email? Can you email it to us? Because you emailed us the Earl to get on to uh, Zoom. Can you just email your website? The, you know the the thing to get the you know
0: the Earl yes. to get. It. Yes, I'm happy to email um, source sheets, and they will also be posted on our website along with the Americans
1: class.
2: Thank you. Uh, and they're in the chat. the The link is in the chat right now. It isn't right. Well, I have to get it. Wait, hold on. <laughs>
1: It's easier if it's on the email and then it sits there forever. Right. Yeah,
2: yeah. So
1: I look very much forward to joining you again next week and continuing this. And once we've started it off, you know, it'll play around and move around in your in your heads as well. And we'll be richer next week. Uh, for those of you who joined with the video, thank you very much. And for those of you who didn't, also you. thank you, but this is more fun. Thank you very so,
0: much. All the race best. And Have a good week. And a point oh, of administration next week, the US is switching off of daylight savings time. So if you're joining from Israel, the clock instead of starting at 7pm will be at 8pm. Or rather, I, I'm afraid I don't know the GMP off the top of my head. Thank you everyone for joining uh, for a wonderful class. Our next class is on Thursday at 730pm with Rabbi Silver, called Snake in the Garden.